0: You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Luke chapter 1, verse
1: 67. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying... whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in the darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. This is the Word of God.
0: God. Good morning, church. How are we doing this morning? Good, good to be with you. Thanks so much for joining us. Big Merry Christmas. Thank you for giving up your precious December time uh, to join us this Christmas Eve. If we haven't had the chance to meet before, my name's Nick. I get the joy of being the lead pastor of this church, the church that God is building uh, to know Jesus and make Jesus known. And today, the joy of diving in to the message of Christmas. Today we're going to get the chance to cut through the chaos that is December, that is the Christmas season, Uh, and we're going to reflect for a moment now, and I hope you'll you'll join us in that reflection on what is Christmas all about, and what does it say about what's going on in the world, what's going on even in our hearts this Christmas, that that video uh, that we had, that box pop, uh, that presents the, the theme that we're looking at this Christmas, the best things in life are free. If you're anything like me, you might think about Christmas and not at all think about anything that's free. December is expensive. If you've looked at your bank balance lately, the Christmas joy might have turned into Christmas jadedness. Uh, it is expensive. Well, today I want to give an opportunity to explore the parts of Christmas that are free, and yet they're not free because they're cheap, rather free because it's priceless. We get this idea from our Bible passage today. Uh, if you are visiting today, I want you to know that, that we actually do this every week. Every Sunday is like Christmas for Christians. And we gather together, and we sing, and we celebrate, and we also gather around the Bible. And we do that because uh, the Bible is particularly important to us. It's important because, you know, on the one hand, it's, it's the best-selling book of all time. Uh, on the other hand, it's, it's the foundations upon which... What we know as Western civilization have been built, uh, but even more than that, there's an, an added, even more important layer, uh, and that is that, that we believe God wrote it. That through humans, uh, through their effort, through real life circumstances and human language, God had this word be given to us. It's a message. It's a story from Him, and so today we're gonna we're gonna look at it, and we're gonna get some free insight. From an ancient Jewish priest. His words we just had read out for us. And his insights tell us why Christmas is so important, why the message of Christmas is priceless for us. Now, this book that we're turning to, uh, we've had it told to us, it's it's the book of Luke. Uh, He was essentially doing the work of an investigative journalist for us, Uh, he was a doctor. But he had some friends in high places who commissioned him to want to go do the, do the hard yards, do the, do the work, to, to gather the data about this person of Jesus they'd heard so much about. And so Luke tells us at the beginning of his short little biographical account into the life of Jesus, he tells us, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the Word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. And so Luke is writing to a Roman official called Theophilus. No relation, I think, uh, to Michael and Anna. But writing a couple of decades after uh, the life of Jesus, uh, Luke goes around and he he interviews people and he gets this eyewitness testimony for us to tell us about Jesus. And for our purposes today, he starts by focusing in on the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus. But if you uh, are either looking at the Bible passage or or stick with me as we, we do, you'll notice that he starts by introducing the baby Jesus to us by talking about another baby, a baby called John. John was the Robin to Jesus Batman. John was the Scotty Pippin to Jesus Michael Jordan. Uh, they were born in, in similar circumstances, but very different. Mary's relative, an older relative, Elizabeth, she was barren and, and she was advanced in years, the Bible tells us, and so she couldn't have a child. And, and her husband, Zechariah, was a, a priest in the temple and he was plodding about the temple one day and an angel appeared to him. And the angel said, Zechariah, you're going to become a dad. You're going to have a child. And it was unbelievable to him. He could not believe it. And unfortunately for him, because he didn't believe it at first, the angel said, all right, as another sign that you're going to have a baby. You can't speak. And so he was made mute until his son John was born. And that brings us to this speech that we have to look at today, to, to Luke 1, verse 67. Zechariah, he's a preacher, and yet he's had nine months of not being able to speak He's an expert in the history of God's people and his work in the world. He's skilled about thinking about wisdom and life. And so you can imagine he's got a lot pent up to say here in this moment. So as we approach it, maybe, maybe you're thinking, hang on, I thought Christmas was about Jesus and not John. And you'd be right. But as he looks at John, the meaning and the significance starts to enter into his mind. And it reminds me of, of the first time I encountered my own son, my own son, Axel. Uh, I remember it, it very clearly, uh, the, the moment we first brought him home from the hospital. Now, as a dad, you know, the, the, the pregnancies, it, it, it's exciting. But you're a little bit detached, literally, uh, from it all. Uh, but now he was here. And, and we, we got out of the hospital ASAP as quickly as we could to get to the, the quiet, the peaceful home uh, no more alarms, no more code browns, no more interruptions. And at this point, only a handful of people in the world knew that he was in the world, that knew that, that our little boy existed. And so it was just us at home in the quiet. And we walk, I walked in to, to the room that we'd prepared for him, this, this tiny little baby in my arms. He was swimming in his quadruple zero onesie. Now we had quiet and we had peace. And I remember looking down at my boy in the quiet of this room. As I looked down on him, I cried. And as I was weeping over him, part of it was my sense of joy, but also part of it was the sense of my life has changed. (laughs) This intense weight of expectation falling upon me. Because from this moment on, this little kid—he doesn't know it yet—but he's going to be looking to me, he's going to be expecting things from me, following me, needing me, and it's incredible privilege, a tremendous responsibility. And as I held Axel there, you know, I'm I'm emotionally constipated at the best of times, but he was like metamucil to my tear ducts. It was <laughs> the the weight of it all. Now, Zechariah is is having that Metamucil himself. Zechariah is feeling that weight himself. But as he looks at his boy, it's, it's even stronger than what I felt. He's feeling not just the weight of now being a dad, but the weight of being involved at the culmination of all that has come to pass in the history of God's people to this point. He's here with this scientifically impossible baby boy in front of him, a gift of God. But we should know, as he looks at him, he also knows God's been silent for 400 years to this point. God's people have been waiting, and then an angel shows up, and then a baby is here. And so here we're at the climactic moment of what God has been building in the world throughout time. It's a story that centers on another baby boy, baby Jesus. And so because of that, as Zechariah looks at his own boy, now eight days old, He sees another boy through him. He starts talking not about his own boy, but about Jesus. And he starts calling out truths about Jesus. And so for the time that we have, uh, we're going to look at what Zechariah tells us about Christmas, about what Jesus has come to do, why it is priceless to us. Specifically, he has four things that he points out that tell us about the gift of Jesus. The first is that the gift of Jesus to the world was planned Let's look at what he first says in verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And so Zechariah's right there looking at his baby boy, the next generation, the future. And yet his mind goes back. His mind looks backwards. Christmas points us back. Zechariah knows something that we as humans intrinsically feel. and We've become lost without. He knows that we're a part of a bigger story. He knows John's life isn't about John. You should know your life isn't about you. That all of us together are part of a far bigger story that is being written. For Zechariah, he sees that what is happening in John and in Jesus is is the climactic moment of what a guy named King David, of David and Goliath fame, a thousand years before this, had spoken of. It's a culmination of what, 500 years even before David, 1,500 years before this point, God had spoken to Abraham. Interestingly, we've got enough data about Jesus to know his genealogy, and, and we can track that he's born in the line of David. And it even goes so far back to Abraham himself, And so Zechariah here is pointing out that Jesus' birth, which will come just shortly after John, is the fulfillment of a thread of promises that go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. In other words, God has planned this. God has planned this and, and moved human history in such a way to get to this point. Now, I think we, as intrinsically know, as humans, that, that, that we need a story to manage our identity so that we can have a, a sense of psychological peace about where we've come from, about who we are, about do we matter in the world, about what is happening, where we find ourselves. Maybe we, we study our ancestry, perhaps. Maybe we look around our modern life for, for a tribe that we can place ourselves in, that can secure us. The classic saying is, you know, if you, if you ever want to find out If someone does CrossFit, you'll know because they'll tell you in every single conversation. If you want to know if somebody's a vegan, you'll know because they tell you in every single conversation. We We love identifying with a tribe, of people. It gives us a sense of of solidarity, a sense of security, a sense of place. They can be incredibly powerful. Well, we do that not just personally but but collectively. Where where have we come from, humanity? Where have we come from as a society? And obviously our, our most common way that we satisfy our sense of needing a story in our secular world is really to subscribe to the fact that that we're accidents. We think that, that that story has been written by this incredibly miraculous accidental and spontaneous coming together of random atoms that has led unbelievably to functioning humanity today and we see that's our story and That must satisfy those longings. On the surface, perhaps it does well enough to do that. For sure, it doesn't deal with the existence of the immaterial concepts like love and morality. It doesn't help us explain the intrinsic dignity we feel we need to give and owe to other human beings as a part, uh, as as distinct from other creatures. But it does settle some of our longings and, and questions in the modern world. We're quite different to that. Materialistic explanation. Zechariah here is pointing out something that Christmas reminds us of and that is that, that you and I are part of a bigger story and yet it's a story that's been written by God himself. God has been crafting this story throughout human history and here in the Christmas moment it's coming to a head. It reminds me of, of another story I've heard told by a man named Glenn Scrivener Uh, Imagine with me, Betty the botanist. Betty the botanist is in her laboratory and she's been there all night and she's running spectral analyses on this botanical specimen before her and she's mapped its genome and she's kind of got from it some some data points, some pharmacological properties that are going to help us with the the treatment of Alzheimer's in the future. And then in the morning, to, to Betty the botanist's lab, comes Larry, the lab assistant. And Larry, the lab assistant, enters on in for work the next morning and sees Betty, who's been there all night, and says, Betty, what, what, what have you been doing? And Betty says, oh, thanks so much, Larry, for that botanical specimen that you gave me yesterday. And Larry says, Betty, yesterday was February 14th. It was, it was Valentine's Day. I gave you a long-stemmed rose. Do you understand what I gave to you? Now, on the one hand, Betty, the botanist, understands better than anyone ever has what was given to her that day. And on the other hand, she's an idiot. Because, yes, it can be treated like a scientific specimen. But it's also a love gift that's communicating something about the giver to the one to whom it is gifted. And so Zechariah is reminding us, what Christmas tells us every year, that that our world is like that long-stemmed rose. That our world has been created. And yes, we we can do all the science we can on it but it doesn't tell us everything about the world. Christmas reminds us that this is a world that that God has made, that God has set in motion and still is even active within it. Particularly at Christmas, we remember that that God has even entered into that creation. God has written human history in such a way to put Jesus at the centre of it. God in the flesh. And so as we think about our own story that we find ourselves in, let us find ourselves in the story that God has been writing throughout history, wherein the story that we're told, the secular narrative, relies on the concepts of survival of the fittest. God's story runs through that with the story of the sacrifice of the fittest, God sending his own son to give his life for us. We're going to talk about that again in a moment. But let's move on to the second reality of the gift of Jesus. Not only is it planned, but it is powerful. Did you notice Zechariah starts praying in terms of of power in verse 71? He said that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. And he said, verse 74, that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. And so Zechariah looks at his eight-day-old eight boy, through him sees the coming Jesus, and he starts to think about the power that's going to come in Jesus. And he feels that and senses that because he, he obviously is, is feeling the oppression of certain enemies here. Now, in Zechariah's mind, immediately, perhaps, uh, the political, the, the very literal, physical enemies that are there in the city with him, Romans. Uh, the Rome Romans were occupying... Uh, the Jews at this time, and they wanted to be free. But there's also, in what he's saying, a deeper reality that he's pointing to, a deeper reality that that physical occupation points to, and that is that you and me, Zechariah and John, all people in our world are occupied by enemies. And yet for us, spiritual, Satan, sin, and death, and Christmas reminds us of the enemy, of that reality. I was reflecting on this this last week. Uh, last week was my, my precious daughter's fifth birthday. And what's custom in our household is that when there's a kid's birthday, we go to the res- a restaurant for dinner, but the restaurant needs to be somewhere close to a time zone. And so we went to Knox Ozone. Thank you to Knox. Uh, and we had the almost ideal trip to time zone. If you've ever been to you know, one, of the, one of these arcades, uh, and to just kind of symbolise how ideal this trip was, is we, we played the claw game, where you kind of, you put money in and the claw comes down, you've got to move it across, and then hopefully you win something. You never win anything. We won a massive thing, a full Hatchimal stuffed animal type thing. That never happens. Not only that, Axel kind of went somewhere for a couple of minutes, came back with all these lollies in his hands, prizes that kids had won and not wanted left it. It doesn't happen at times. This was an ideal trip to time zone and yet our trip to time zone was tarnished because if you've ever been to these places you'll know that in the back corner of these kind of areas there's, there's the dark game, the zombie game, the, the, the kind of the game that my kids are not allowed to play uh, and there's curtains around the game because the marketing's too scary to look at. Uh, this game. Well, it just so happened that that Aria was walking past this game and and the zombie caught her eyes. And so she was done for the day, covered her eyes and ran away screaming uh, from this zombie. Now that trip to to, to time zone is is a bit of a, a microcosm of our lives. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Because as much as we hope for it, there's always that, that zombie game in the corner of our lives, isn't there? Maybe it's, it's not uh, particularly like that. But the elephant in the room, the regrets in our memories, the uncertainty in our future, the strain in our relationships, the skeletons in our closets, the, the, the shame of guilt that arises in the back of our minds in those quiet moments when we ever get a time to ourselves, The sense of isolation we feel even when we're surrounded by other warm bodies in the room the dull pulse of that sense of of meaninglessness, even as we seemingly progress and accomplish all that we've wanted and achieved and reach success. Christmas reminds us of this reality. This Christmas, perhaps, reminds us of that reality in in an even more specific way because we sometimes sing at Christmas about the little town of Bethlehem. And yet we know that right now, Bethlehem, which sits in the West Bank, is currently just very close to an active war zone. As if it's a a picture of the beauty and the brokenness of our world. Individually, corporately, or globally, we know that our experience in life is tarnished. Of course, it's tarnished by, by far more serious causes than scary video games, but rather the Bible tells us that we've actually cut ourselves off from the God who made us, the God who gave us this world to know him and glorify him in it. We've cut ourselves off from him and instead paved our own way. The first humans did it, and all we humans have done it ever since. See, God, the God who made us, has this this wonderful vision for our lives, a vision of us living in, in right relationship with Him, of harmony, of joy, of peace, and, and love. And He knows that vision because He made us. He knows how life works best. But we ignore that vision. And like someone arrogantly throwing away the IKEA instructions, we, we think we can build our life ourselves. We can do it our own way. And that we all do that by nature makes us what the Bible calls sinners. Because that's our nature. We ignore God. We hurt others. We're hurt by others who themselves ignore God. We feel shame for what we've done, but we also get shamed by others. We feel unsatisfied, purposeless, hungry. Our world seems to at the same time try to solve that and yet make us even more spiritually claustrophobic by cutting us off from the cosmic, eternal realities and purpose for which we're made. Well, Zechariah here, as he's prophesying or or praying about baby Jesus who is to come, is reminding us here that, that he's come with power. He's come with a purpose. And he tells us that Sin isn't essential to us so much as it is our enemy. And Jesus has come into our world to defeat those enemies. He's come to defeat sin by taking it upon himself in our place. He's come to to overthrow Satan and, and evil spiritual forces that come against us by triumphing over them in his death. He's done that as he's come to die so that he might defeat death by leaving it in the empty grave. And so this Christmas, Zechariah is telling us that that we can be free from our enemies that lie within, that come against us from without because of Jesus, the victorious and powerful one. And so the gift of Jesus is planned. It's powerful. Thirdly, Zechariah says that it's personal. It is personal. Verse 76 he says this, as he looks over John he says, "And you, child will be called the prophet of the most high for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And so in this couple of verses, he he starts to talk about the baby that is there before him, John. He tells us that that John's here to prepare the way for Jesus. But notice the things that, that Jesus is coming to do that need preparation. Knowledge of salvation to his people, Forgiveness of their sin, tender mercy of our God, light to those who sit in darkness, guidance for our feet into the way of peace. Zechariah has reminded us that that God has this this meta plan in Jesus. But it's not just meta, He applies it personally to Himself and to the the people that He knows, the people that He ministers to as the priest there in Jerusalem. What Jesus has come to do is not just for the world, but for him, for us, and for you. A number of years ago now, my, my wife and I, we went on a, a cruise to the Pacific Islands. And uh, the best things about cruises is that there is unlimited food. And the worst thing about cruises is that there is very limited space. And sometimes those things work against each other. Uh, but another good thing when uh, I was not kind of holed up in the room with nausea uh, was going to see the shows in the evening. They have these, these kind of concerts. And one of the shows they had was a, a, a mentalist, uh, a hypnotist called Phoenix came uh, on this cruise. And this guy was seriously impressive. This guy could, could memorise a deck of cards on the spot uh, with no pra- well, seemingly no practice. Uh, he was predicting life circumstances of audience members Just in, in this moment, just calling out people about what's going on in their life. A- at one point, he got a-, a little girl up. He predicted that the kid had a dog, which isn't so impressive, but then predicted the breed of the dog, the color of the dog, and then the name of the dog. And having done all this, I was like, I was scared. I was like, what's this guy going to call out in-, in all of us? But as he went throughout these, these kind of tricks, he, he reminded us that he's not a psychic, he doesn't believe in all that. No, he's just using persuasion techniques. He's using suggestion. He's using the, the scientific method to, to draw these things out of people. Sometimes we have that view of, that's what Jesus must have come and done. That's what Jesus was doing. He, he, he was just this really, before his time, kind of on the edge of psychological trickery that his miracles perhaps just just fooled everybody. And he came to to charm the crowd and to get famous so that he might be a figure in history. Unfortunately, as Zechariah reminds us here, that that Jesus didn't come to do all that. When we look at Jesus, the, the story of his life doesn't stack up with that narrative because Jesus would end his life being so unpopular that he was put to death with seemingly no opposition. The religious establishment hated him. And in their hatred for him, they never tried to expose his miracles as tricks because they weren't. Rather, they admitted that what he claimed to have done really did did happen. People were healed. 5,000 people were fed. And yet they claimed it was of the devil. They saw him as a threat. Jesus himself told us that as he came, his, his miracles were, were signs pointing to who he is and what he's come to do. But it's in his death that we get the point of his life. Because where the religious leaders thought that they were going to kill him and be done with it, end the threat of his popularity. Jesus tells us that it wasn't so much that they were killing him, rather that he was laying down his life. Laying down his life for us and for our salvation. See, if you and I had the power that Jesus had, you and I, our first thought would be, how can we monetize this? We would think, how could we grow in power and influence given our skill set, our talent stack? Maybe we'd go on cruises and perform tricks. But we would think certainly about how to leverage this for our gain. And yet Jesus came with all of the power The power of God. And he came thinking about how to serve. Thinking about what to give. At one point he tells his disciples, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And this is what Zechariah is talking about in these few verses. That Jesus has come to serve you. To save you from yourself. And the sin that that lies within. To save you from the world. And the sin that oppresses us. To show God's tender mercy to you. By bringing you out of darkness. And onto the way of peace. And so in other words, Jesus came to bring you back to God. To have you reconciled to your creator. To live in right relationship with him. To ultimately fulfill that vision that God has for our lives with him. And so Zechariah looked at John and he spoke of Jesus because John's life was about Jesus. It was personal. But it's also personal for all of us because it's not just John. Your life is about Jesus. Because the God who exists, the God who is there, the God who made this world also made you. And by virtue of having made you, you are in some sense in a relationship with him. And yet it's very possible that right now that is a strained relationship. Well, Jesus has come to heal and reconcile that relationship, that you might be made right with the God who made you. And finally, this highlights for us that the best things in life are free, free because they're priceless. The fourth thing that the gift of Jesus tells us is not only is it planned, not only is it powerful, not only is it personal, it's also paid for. You notice when you listen to Zechariah that in his his joy, in his prayer, in his song, however it was that he he communicated this, he's not celebrating that he now has a great opportunity before him. He's not celebrating that he now has a great chance. He's not celebrating that he now gets to earn something he was previously kept from. He's not even speaking about things that we get to do at all. We're not the active ones in all the words that he is saying. Rather, he's speaking about what God will do. He's celebrating the arrival of something that God's people have been waiting for. He's celebrating the good news that that God has come. He's rejoicing, not at opportunity or possibility, but at the objective reality of what God has come to do in sending his son, Jesus. That's why the birth of Jesus is so significant. It's the beginning of the life and then of the death of Jesus for us. And it reminds us that the gift of Jesus at Christmas, this Christmas, is a free gift. Because the good news of Christianity is that we don't come to God earning our way into relationship with him. It's not about our performance before him, but Jesus is for us. Religion sometimes muddies the waters for us because our hearts are so prone to want to earn our way In that we might get the credit but the good news of Jesus is that just as Jesus got what he didn't deserve death upon a cross so you and I in Jesus can get what we don't deserve righteousness life salvation with him the Bible says this in in the book of Romans for the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord Christianity is not about doing things for God so much as it is about what God has done for us. And we get that free gift not by working for it, not by earning it, by simply receiving it, by trusting in this message, what Jesus has come to be for us, for you, that he's lived a perfect life free from sin, he's died a sacrificial death, to deal with your sin. And ultimately, he's risen again, leaving that in the tomb as he walked out victorious over our enemies, winning for us eternal life. And so the investigative journalists here who who studied the life and the death of, of Jesus and must have gone to those people here in the room with Zechariah about what he said, he put that down on paper so that his friend might have certainty about what he had heard. He helps us see that the gift of Jesus is planned, it's powerful, it's personal, it's, it's payful. This is why it's priceless. But in putting that down on paper, Luke wants not just his friend to have certainty, he gives us certainty as well. We can believe this message that Luke records for us. We can believe this message of Christmas that Jesus has come for us. And so in Jesus, you can find yourself in the greatest story ever written. The story that makes sense of your life and of your heart, but also deals with it. Deals with the reality of the mess that we have within us so that we can be made right with God. God has made the world and then entered into it to rescue you from you. And so that's the the question that faces all of us this morning, this Christmas What will we do with Jesus this Christmas? Will we receive this free gift of eternal life in Jesus? I'm going to pray now. Uh, If you're in the uh, category of people who want to receive the free gift of Jesus this Christmas, then, then let me encourage you not to let the Christmas festivities, whether now or over the coming couple of days, distract you from that. Your life is going to matter next week when Christmas is forgotten. Your life's going to matter the middle of next year in winter when Christmas seems so far away and life is coming at you fast. You need to think about who Jesus is for you in your life in this moment. And so I'm going to pray. And if you're in that category of people who want to receive it, let me encourage you to pray along with me in your heart. Uh, So let's close our eyes and let's bow our heads. Uh, If you do want me to include you in who I am praying for, uh, let me just encourage you to go ahead and, and, and put up your hand while everyone has, has their eyes closed and I'll have you in mind as I pray. Uh, if not now, definitely do mention that to people that you'd like to talk more about this Jesus. Thank you. Amen. I'm going to pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the gift of Jesus this Christmas thank you that he has come into our world just as you planned and he's come to powerfully deal with all that comes against us even when that's our own failure our own shortcomings, our own sin whether expressed in religion or rebellion God we are sorry for turning away from you but we thank you that you never turned away from us rather you have come to us in Jesus, to serve us, and even to lay down your life in death. And so, Lord, this morning we receive your love, your grace, your salvation, Lord, for anyone here whose hearts are wide open, eager to receive that that free gift of eternal life in Jesus. God would may they receive it and be assured of your love for them, and would they have. Lay upon them the the joy that it is to have something freely given and freely received. Lord, give us new hearts that delight in you, in who you are and in what you've done for us. Help us see the importance of Christmas and receive Jesus as the priceless gift that you've given to us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church,